For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and illusion, born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and illusion, born through body, speech, and mind. I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind. I now fully avow. Him to the perfection of wisdom. Homage to the perfection of wisdom, the lovely, the holy, the perfection of wisdom gives us light. Unstained, the entire world cannot stain her. She is the source of light, and from everyone in the triple world, she removes darkness. Most excellent are her works. She brings light so that all fear and distress may be forsaken and disperses the gloom and darkness of delusion. She herself is an organ of vision. She has clear knowledge of the own being of all dharmas, for she does not stray away from it. The perfection of wisdom of the Buddha sets in motion the wheel of Dharma. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mere wisdom with full awareness. We have chanted the hymn to the perfection of wisdom, we dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajatapi, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma, our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Ehe Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. To the well-being of all those affected with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world. Gratefully, we offer this virtue to all beings.
Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, maha, prajna, paramita. Thank you and good evening. Um, our speaker tonight is Hogetsu Lori Belzer, and when he's ready, Tigan will introduce the speaker. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, maybe everyone here knows Hogetsu, but if there's anyone who doesn't, um, she's been our sewing teacher, and she's one of our one of the first priests at Ancient Dragons End Gate, and um, as uh, just a wonderful person, and is, I'm glad that she's giving a talk tonight. Thank you for that kind intro, Hagen. <laughs> and thank you, Alex, for being such a wonderful host. I think I pretty much know everyone, and... Uh, it's great to see you all here, bodhisattvas. So we just chanted him to the perfection of wisdom. And, you know, that little blurb is excerpted from a great text on the perfection of wisdom, which I highly recommend, uh, called the Ashtasahashrika Prajnaparamita Sutra or the Prajnaparamita Sutra in 6,000 lines, 8,000 lines, Ashta, 8, okay. So that being said, I'm sitting here in my home in Chicago, and I don't know how it is where you are. I wonder, Sarah, Sarah, are you still there? Yeah, I wonder where Sarah is. But anyway, locate it. Would you like to tell us? Hi, Sarah. I'm here. I was just moving into a, realized I was sitting in a shroud of darkness. Um, I'm in Chicago. You're in Chicago. Okay, great. I wasn't sure. I heard you would locate it someplace else. but Soon, soon, imminently to Cambridge. Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so... A couple months ago, I spoke to this Monday evening group, and uh, I'll perseverate a little bit more on uh, equanimity, if you can deal with it. And uh, anybody who's shown up on Thursday morning knows that I've been kind of a broken record about equanimity for couple months, two, three months. Uh, And the more I swim in it, course in it, explore it, allow it to move me and move with it, um, 
I think it's pretty wonderful practice. So I just encourage you to take this practice up of equanimity. So um, this comes from, for me, a practice over the past year or so of these Bodhisattva practices, of these ancient Buddhist practices, of the Brahma Viharas, sometimes called the Four Divine Abodes. You probably all know what they are, but I'll just refresh your memory. Often, this on this kind of situation in Ancient Dragon on a Monday or Sunday, we might chant the Metta Sutta. So the first of these four is Metta, which is kindness, loving kindness, wonderful practice, unconditional kindness towards everyone, everything. Number two, is compassion, karuna, uh, which we hear a lot about in Zen, as in wisdom and compassion, which is being with suffering, responding to suffering with the sincere desire to alleviate suffering. A whole other, you know, maybe I'll spend the next year or so after I'm done with equanimity going back to course in compassion for a while. But right now the ocean of equanimity is pretty inviting. Uh, the third of these Brahma Viharas or good places to live, good places to inhabit in our world is appreciative joy or sympathetic joy, uh, which I always like to say is the antidote to schadenfreude, to taking delight in like the suffering of others or the misfortune. But uh, Mudita or sympathetic joy or appreciative joy is actually being happy at the happiness of others. All-inclusive practice, by the way. So these are all-inclusive practices. Nobody's left out. So we can be happy when someone is that we don't, that we find that we don't like. So it's weird to like all of a sudden have this like joy for somebody that you thought you didn't like when they're happy. Then number four, which is maybe the most dangerous one in some ways is equanimity. And I say danger. So I'm, you know, put the warning label on it. Uh, You know, equanimity can be confused with numbness, with apathy, with indifference. And I just cannot imagine that Buddha and everyone who practices Buddhism after Buddha uh, would endorse indifference. I think this is not our practice. I think it was Ellie Wiesel that said something, or Wiesel that said like, uh, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. So, um, it's a good thing to keep in mind, I think, when we practice equanimity. But I'm sure none of you get caught in any kind of apathy or indifference or lethargy or anything like that. But I might. I actually, just sidebar, when I have sort of uh, been 
embracing this practice of equanimity. In the first couple months of it, I did kind of notice a little bit of a cooling off and maybe a little bit of a withdrawal. So I think when you practice anything, there's a a changing relationship, just like with Sasan, you know. So I will make that confession. I did experience a little bit of uh, remove, but it didn't last that long. And I saw what was going on, hopefully. Um, So this equanimity is this kind of beautiful, expansive light force. So one image I have when I think of equanimity is this light that illuminates everything without distinction. Shines everywhere. So this is sort of this open and bright aspect of equanimity. Um, The second quality I would say is also one of balance and uh, acceptance. Uh, Of being upright. So there's space for everything in this kind of broad light of acceptance. And uh, there's also a balance of being even-minded. And, you know, our zazen, it's just, this is equanimity is baked into our zazen posture, right? We find our seat, our middle way, um, hopefully, even if we might, be hobbled by old age as is happening to me sometimes. Um, But it is a practice of peace. So this uh, equanimity, I think from a Zen perspective, protects us from the delusion of uh, separation and isolation and supports a flexible, harmonious connection. So it's not an aloof situation. And there's some beautiful things about equanimity. One ancient writing in foundational Buddhism, aka for all you Buddhist nerds out there, the Pali Canon, it is said to protect us. Equanimity protects us Uh, from the eight worldly winds that you might say fuel narcissism in modern terms. So these winds are things we're all familiar with, right? This is spoken about a lot, the wind, the wind of uh, agreeable and disagreeable things. So things that we want to happen and things that we don't want to happen. Things that are pleasurable or cause pain, let's say. Um, So that can spin us around. 
So equanimity protects us from that pair of the eight. The second pair is of uh, gain and loss. And uh, these are all facts of the world, but they're ones that create problems when they're resisted, you might say. Uh, One of my favorites is how the other, uh, some other wins are status or disgrace or privilege or lack of privilege Uh, or fame is another way of thinking or disrepute, you know, like how many likes did I get on my, you know, TikTok post? Mm -hmm. Nobody likes me, you know, Uh, or nobody sees me. Um, and the final pair are praise and criticism, let's say, or blame and praise. So if we want to look for ego, we can just like dangle a few of these like things at it, right? Play, praise, blame, criticism, uh, disgrace, status. <laughs> so these are all things that uh, equanimity protect us from getting caught by, so says early Buddhist writings. And at the end of a famous writing on these eight worldly winds, there's a beautiful verse, you know, and I think that these verses that often will end uh, an old Buddhist sutra or sutta, um, they're they're written in verse form, and I think it's because people are memorizing, you know, these things. But I think these verses are really great to memorize. So here's here's a little verse: gain and loss, status, disgrace, censure, praise, pleasure, pain. These conditions among human beings are inconstant, impermanent subject to change. Knowing this, the wise person, which means you, Buddhist practitioners, (laughs) mindful, ponders these changing conditions and desirable things don't charm the mind and undesirable ones bring no resistance. Isn't that beautiful? So next time you encounter desirable things, see if you're charmed by it. See if you're hypnotized by it. You know, it's kind of like hypnotic. And or when uh, undesirable things come along, do you resist it? You know, sagaki, we're having on Sunday, we're having something called sagaki ceremony which is a time when we nourish uh, and honor in some ways and invite and welcome uh, people who have died or beings that have passed away who may be troubled. But I think of this ceremony as a ceremony that speaks to everyone who is in need of nourishment, who've been troubled by these harsh winds of life. Maybe they're tormented by the charm of desire, 
<laughs> can't get enough. It's kind of the hungry ghost. Uh, or they're resisting the pain of rejection and disappointment, resisting the flow of life, and are troubled. And at this ceremony, we call these beings forth. beings that we've lost and the beings that are still in our lives who are troubled. Maybe they're parts of ourselves. We call them, we tinkle these little bells to, to say, you're safe. Come here. So we're kind of inviting them to practice some equanimity and to nourish them so that these winds don't overwhelm them of these desirable things and undesirable experiences that can trap us. So equanimity is harmonizing with ups and downs. I would call this boundless equanimity. Um, And it has this feature of the sound of the bell. This is, by the way, this is a little bell from uh, a Thai temple. And it's got like a little, this looks like a Bodhi tree leaf, Buddha, where Buddha got enlightenment. So this is, this is interacting with the wind. But see, it's not really disturbed by the wind. It actually uh, doesn't mind these changing conditions at all. It transforms them into something kind of beautiful and calming. Um, yesterday, if any of you were, uh, present, I know Tigan was, I don't know if anyone else, who else, you know, some of you were were present yesterday at Ancient Dragon to, uh, hear the venerable teacher Stephen Hine talk about Dogen's life. So Dogen, our ancient Japanese, or let's say founder from medieval Japan of our school of Zen. Uh, also developed a practice with the wind uh, in response to his teacher. And uh, Stephen Hine discussed a lot of stories about Dogen, some of which were of questionable truth, let's say. Nobody's sure if they really happened. They sound kind of mythological and wild. But this is a story that Dogen recounts uh, of his encounter with his teacher, Rujing, when he went to China from Japan. And this is a story of an intimate transmission of the wind bell of equanimity. And so uh, Dogen was, must have been a young man, like in his 20s, early 20s, mid-20s, and met his teacher. And his teacher somehow recited a poem for him. And the poem said something like this, the whole body of the wind bell. Or you might say the whole body of the Buddhist practitioner practicing equanimity. But probably sounds better to say the whole body is like a mouth hanging in empty space hanging in emptiness 
The whole body is like a mouth hanging in emptiness. Without distinguishing the winds from east, west, south, or north. So just being with whatever wind shows up. Together. Expressing prajna, wisdom, equally to all beings. Ding dong. Yao, ding dong. This is Shohaku Akamura's translation. Uh, many people have different translations, but it's interesting to see how this little Suzuki Roshi has different translations. Tygen probably does, and Stephen Heim probably does, and I know Reb Anderson does. But I like Shohaku's uh, translation. And this together, the wind. So these winds meet us and create this beautiful sound when equanimity is practiced. Uh, this conversation, by the way, with uh, Ru Jing, so that's Dogen's teacher in China someplace, before the internet, before electricity was available, <laughs> off the grid, you might say, completely, in some mountainous area. Uh, Dogen said that his, his robes were soaked with tears um, upon hearing this. And then he went to Rujing, and <laughs> I think the story, maybe Taikin remembers this better than I do, but I think there's something like Rujing was about to get into his vehicle, which in this case was like a sedan chair carried by people off to the next village or next temple. But it's sort of like, you know, you're getting in your car and Dogen comes up to you and says, that poem blew me away. It's so amazing. I, I understand. And this is like the most amazing thing I ever heard. And uh, Rujing looked at him, you know, before he left and said something like, yeah, you really get it. That's really wonderful. Uh, so write some more poems like this. And I guess he got in the sedan chair and off he went. But this was a, a face-to-face meeting. Uh, and Dogen references this poem multiple times in, in the literature. Um, and this windbell seemed, this poem also seemed very important to Suzuki Roshi. And uh, San Francisco Zen Center's magazine. <laughs> Was also called the wind bell, which some of you we've talked about. I was looking at that wind bell. That's from 2005. An ancient dragon is listed there. Uh, that's when paper was used uh, to publish things. Um, but this meeting, you know, was such a, a beautiful encounter. It was like, you know. I don't know who was the wind and who was the bell, Rujing or Dogen, but there was this kind of conversation. Um, and this is, you could say, the, the fruit of equanimity and the expression of equanimity. Um, the sound of boundless equanimity, which manifests uh, with our practice. So I think this wind bell is, is just a beautiful image, you know, to consider 
how do we embody that? You know, like in Sazen, maybe like the whole project of Sazen is to become a windbell. So whatever we need, oh, here's, here's like a little, it's a little Japanese windbell. It's a little fish. It's cute. Um, and as windbells, you know, this is how we have a chance, maybe the little bit of a chance to bring peace and harmony and justice uh, and equality equal to all. Remember, this light shines equally uh, and balanced uh, in the world. And uh, the whole body is like a mouth hanging in emptiness without discriminating the winds, east, west, south or north, together we express the Buddha Dharma (laughs) equally to all for the benefit of all beings. So ding dong, liao ding, di ding dong. So uh, that's maybe a nice place for us to stop and hang out uh, and meet the winds together. So I'd be interested in uh, your impressions of wind bells and what is transmitted by the sound of the wind bell in the windy, worldly conditions and how you experience and practice equanimity or anything else you'd like to share this evening, bodhisattvas. Okay, thank you very much. So just unmute yourselves at will, please. It it reminds me of my favorite line from the Dhammapada, which says to be like the broken bell, do not reverberate, something like that. So are we supposed to chime in the wind? Are we supposed to thunk unmusically in the wind? Um, I don't know. Do you have a, a, a comment on that? Well, I uh, like the image of a broken bell. It's been very helpful for me, that exact image, in practicing equanimity. Something about it really clicked. Because mm-hmm. I know you're musical, so I could imagine that the sound of a broken bell or of people singing off key could produce some uncomfortable experiences to the ear of Wade. But still, you're open, right? And you'll be like, okay, there's a broken bell. It's just a lovely image to be hit by something, but not have it shake your whole being. Mm-hmm. Right. So you move with it. Thank you. I'll have to go back to the Dhammapada and look for that line. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Anything else you want to say about that? Thank you.
Jason, I, oh, Ed, yeah, go for it. Oh, Jason, it was Jason. No, I was just going to call upon Jason because I haven't seen him for a long time, but I, we have, I haven't seen you for a long time either, Ed. So please offer your Dharma to us. I prefer hanging out underneath a bridge. Maybe that's why you haven't seen me. Because <laughs> that's where I have found equanimity to exist in the outside world. But um, equanimity is a very, very curious word to me. I was wondering if you might talk about it a little bit. How it, it, is it something that is an internal state of affairs? Is it experienced ex, in the external world? Um, certainly, I think I know when you use the word, the genuineness of the experience when it occurs. And it does occur. Although it seems to be an occurrence that's essentially internal to the self and its relationship to the external world is always a bit peculiar, if not maybe paradoxical. Oh, I, don't I don't know. know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, on some level, somebody said like all true things are paradoxical, but is equanimity external or internal? Is there an out, inside, outside, or in between? Try to find it. Try to find the edge of equanimity. Look for the edge, you know? And so this is a seamless practice we have. So when we find the edges, that's a place to practice. So this is a very, you know, great point you bring up. You know, is it the wind or the bell sounding? Where is the separation? And then crawl into the separation. <laughs> crawl inside of it. And relax. Hi, hi, <laughs> and hi everybody else um thank you for the the talk i've actually been making wind chimes for the past few weeks mm-hmm. and um there's something tremendously amazing about making wind chimes because you can buy such a lovely one but if you make one yourself it can make such horrendous sound um <laughs> So the, the, but there's just so many fascinating ways to, to study that sound and to change the clapper and to change the, 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 the wind tail, I guess it's called, um, with the material and the shape and, you know, using nice aluminum versus beat up handles from old brooms. Um, like, and then the, the, whoever wants to play it, whether or not it's the wind or by two year old, my two-year-old is not so gentle with the wind chimes and I kind of prefer the way he plays it than the, the wind does right now. Um, so that horrendousness is actually quite lovely right now. Um, but yeah, there's lots of equanimity is needed when making homemade wind chimes. 
So the, so that practice teaches you equanimity. Yes. Yes, it has been. Yeah, I was literally spent um, probably 20 minutes just listening to a sound hitting a wind chime at various like levels of intensity just to, to hear, oh, that's what this is now. That's what this is now. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So this is intimacy <laughs> and crawling inside of any separation with you and the wind bell. And then you're, but the attention to it. So, yeah. So how is a wind bell made? How does our practice make a wind bell? How do we make a, a Buddha out of a brick? Something like that. So Jason, this is wonderful. You're making wind bells. I hope you enjoy that fully. Tygen, you you had something to say, I think. Well, just something you said, Hogetsu. Um, it occurred to me that, uh, and I never thought of it this way before, that equanimity has something to do with meeting, meeting together, uh, just in the wind and the bell. But also equanimity is is uh, meeting everything in some way. Um, so anyway, I hadn't thought of that before, but... Uh, you, you, as you said, it's a practice of intimacy, but it's also how we, it's a way in which we meet everything in ourselves and, and, and others, any others. Mm-hmm. Any others we think of as others. Yeah, any any so-called others, yes, yes. But th- th- there's a meeting that happens. There's That is, I don't know if it's part of the etymology of equanimity. There's something in there too, but anyway. Uh, yeah, thank you. In the in the Sanskrit upeka, there's I, so seeing mm-hmm. is in that that um, maybe Sarah knows more about this. I don't know if you studied Sanskrit, but but so so it is eye to eye, face to face meeting, um, and and. And this way that everything works together. So then when we see how things are working together, um, even the most painful things, uh, pandemic, horrible injustice, my neighbor telling me he won't be vaccinated. (laughs) You know, I could feel like a little resistance to that. But then I wonder about how this is all working together and what is our place in the world. So this is, you know, no inside, outsider, in between. But still, something happens, you know, like the end of the Genjo Koan. (laughs) Why the wind reaches everywhere. Why does the bell ring? You know, so thank you, Tygen, for underscoring that emptiness, meeting emptiness. Alex, our wondrous host. Um, thank you for the talk, Hogetsu, and and, and uh, along similar lines, I'm just sort of reminded of the image of Dharma rain, which um, um, 
covers everything equally and without discrimination and how you know, uh, equanimity is not just sort of a receptive quality, but that um, maybe more of like a, a natural order and, and sort of connecting that with Dogen's idea of sort of, you know, these co-enlightening uh, factors where we're, um, you know, um, uh, through our own equanimity are sort of, you know, in harmony with, um, with the Dharma rain, so to speak. The Dharma wind and rain. Yeah. That's so there's also something about, um, equanimity that, that moves beyond ideas of separation, but also finds its place in the, like a Dharma position in the world, which is part of this equanimity. But yeah. I wonder what Dogen thought, you know, wonder what moved him so much by this poem that he was like, you're my teacher. I barely know you, but I get it. We're on the same frequency. But we're all on the same frequency. I can feel that. also the sound of practice realization and the sound of awakening self and others just to riff a little more so thank you Alex well It's been really wonderful to practice equanimity together and see your wonderful faces, you little wind bells. So maybe that's enough for today, this evening. And I don't know what happens next. So 